Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Oh, this spins a little bit. Uh, hi to everyone at home. It's great to be with you as well. I hope that you're sitting there comfy with a brew and uh, ready to kind of get stuck into what I feel God wants to say to us this morning. Um, now, uh, I've been given the topic following the second chapter in the book that we're looking through, which is Pete Gregg's book, How to Pray. Um, and first of all, I just massively recommend the book. I found this chapter this week to be really, really helpful teaching for me on prayer, on rejoicing, on what it is to adore God. Um, and uh, as Beth said, I'm, I'm speaking on this topic of rejoice, adoration and thanksgiving. Um, so that's kind of what is framing everything I'm going to talk about this morning and in the context of prayer, in the context of what does that look like when we pray. And um, Last week we had Karen speaking to us, who's great, and she, she mentioned this thing that's just stuck with me, that prayer is to be our steering wheel and not just our spare tyre. I don't know if that's stuck with anyone else, but that's been just going through my head throughout this week, and that's the whole context of what we're looking at, that actually prayer would be the thing that is steering the ship, the thing that is leading us, and not just the spare tyre that we get out when things are going wrong. So, to kick off this morning... I wanted to just start off giving you a picture of two hypothetical different prayer times, okay? So this is a little story for you. And um, I loved what Karen said last week about having a space dedicated, you know, that you go to to pray. And so this is a story of two guys, Timmy and Jimmy, okay, can you remember that? Timmy and Jimmy, and their morning prayer times in their spare room with God. Okay. Timmy gets himself a cup of tea and wanders down the hallway to the spare room to go and sit and pray. But before he's sat down on the rug or the arch of his back has come into contact with the toasty radiator, his mind is full. Full of yesterday's problems and tomorrow's fears. Things he needs to do and things he wishes he'd said. Or maybe he's just distracted by the untidiness of the room or with an interesting storyline from a bit of telly he's been watching going round and round his head. After five minutes of imagining what it would be like to be flying a spaceship to deserted planets, like on his current Netflix watch, Lost in Space, again, nothing to do with my life, I promise, he decides to redirect his thoughts onto prayer. He gives himself a quick rebuke and tries to think of what he should be bringing before God this morning. Then he remembers a good piece of advice telling him to just be in the presence of God as he enters prayer. So he decides to do that. Before Timmy knows it, he's back flying a spaceship and the pattern repeats. He manages to pull himself back and start to bring before God something that he's worried about. And he gets a faint glimpse of what the Lord might be saying before he realizes he should probably pray for someone else as well. Timmy looks through his prayer journal, finds something he's noted down in the life of a loved one that needs prayer, brings it before God, and before he knows it, he's running late and needs to move on to the next thing. Now, I don't know if anyone else in here has had a prayer time like that before, where they felt slightly distracted, other things going on. If you were like me and in your school reports, it was so-and-so is easily distracted, then I wonder if you might have. Um, meanwhile, here is Jimmy's time of prayer. Jimmy gets himself a cup of tea. As he's making it, he listens to a worship song that is capturing his heart at the moment. He feels the groove of the music and the declarations about the character of his God, and Jimmy's mind is full of God's goodness, and his heart fills with the Lord's joy. He sits down at the radiator and continues to worship, either through more worship music 
or by just thanking God for who he is and what he's done. Jimmy recalls times of breakthrough in his own life or perhaps stories of God's goodness to the billions of people before him. He reads a psalm that fills his mind with things to adore God for and he brings to mind the most important breakthrough, the earth-shattering sacrifice of God's own son that redeemed Jimmy's very soul and he dwells, resting in the Lord's presence for a while. He moves on from this time of adoration of a holy God to realize where he's fallen short of his God's glorious standard, and he repents. Not with a feeling of shame or guilt, but with a feeling of coming home, becoming more the person his heavenly father has made him to be. As the start of his time of prayer served as a reminder of who he is talking to, Jimmy prays prayers full of faith and full of honesty of where he's hurting. He asks his father for things, things that would seem absurd to the faithless mind, resolutions to problems, provision for his family and peace for our world that requires supernatural intervention and that he surely doesn't deserve by his own merit. But even as Jimmy asks these things, he has the deep feeling that even if he doesn't see them, he knows his God is good and knows what he's doing. Jimmy hears the Lord's voice in response to his mumblings, perhaps a faint whisper, perhaps clear as day, perhaps through scripture as Jesus walks off the page, or perhaps in the quiet of his mind, and he writes it down. He then realizes it's time that he should be getting on with the tasks ahead of him, and so gets up more aware of God's presence and looking more like Jesus. Now, who in here would like a prayer time that looked more like that? I know for sure that I would like that to be the case. And In writing these little stories, I'm really not trying to give us a formula to follow. I I don't believe that God works like that. But I do want to envision us and impassion us to think, what could my prayer life look like? What could it look like? I want to be a Jimmy and not a Timmy in this situation. And so just quickly, like we've just done before, wherever you are, just if you're on your own, just have a think, or if you're with people at home or in the room, why don't you just have a, a quick discussion of what was the difference between those two prayer times and how they started. What is the difference in how they started? And I'll draw you back in in a minute. Okay, so I'll just draw us back in. This, this kind of leads me to the first thing I want to say today. And the difference for me between the two, time, the two ways those two prayer times started is that one started in adoration, adoration of God in fixing his eyes onto God. That's Jimmy. Jimmy was worshipping God, he was thinking, he was filling his mind with who God is, and he was thanking God. And then Timmy was thinking about himself, he, was looking, he had his eyes fixed on his own problems, and actually, God wants to hear our problems, but we see that in the, those two prayer times, how it plays out is that actually by Jimmy fixing his eyes on God, he's reminded of who he is, and so that whole prayer time is changed. And so that leads me to my first point I want to say this morning, that adoration in prayer is to remind ourselves of who we're talking to. It's to give us that focus and to say, I remember who I'm talking to. Our questions to people change when we know the power that they have, when we know the authority that they hold. If we're at a shop, we ask a different question to the manager than to the, to the shop assistant, don't we? When, we? when we fix our eyes onto Jesus in worship and in adoration, it changes everything else. We realize, oh, yes, that is the God that I'm praying to. And so I'm going to ask for these things that are bold because I know that he's a powerful God. 
I'm going to believe that he loves me, and so I'm going to be honest with where I'm at. So adoration uh, reminds ourselves of who we're talking to. And I love Pete Gregg in the book uh, kind of says this as the godness of God. It reminds us of the godness of God. And I love how he puts it. He says, after 25 years in pastoral ministry, I've come to the conclusion that many people struggle with prayer simply because they doubt that God likes them. But there are probably just as many of us who fail to fully grasp his holiness. We have a notion of divine love devoid of divine sovereignty. Unwittingly, we have unhallowed the Father's name. And in losing the godness of God, we struggle with prayer because we fail to grasp the mind-blowing privilege of simply being in the presence of the living God. Familiarity breeds apathy until we can barely be bothered to try. Now, those are powerful, powerful words. And when we think of the Lord's Prayer and how it starts, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If this was how Jesus taught us to pray, if this was the model, actually fix our eyes onto God in hallowing his name, in worship and adoration, then I think this is a pretty good thing for us to do. And I'm going to move on in a minute to kind of some of the benefits that this has for, for our lives, for, for our mental health, for the way that we think, our thought patterns. But actually, before I do that, I just wanted to say that I think it's so important that we come uh, to prayer in worship, first and foremost, not because of what we can get from it and not, not because actually it's really beneficial to us, but purely because God's worthy of it that we adore him just to adore him because he's worthy of it. And um, some of you might know Romans 12.1. It's a passage that's talked about in worship all the time. To give your bodies as a living sacrifice, um, this is your true worship. But actually, the passage that comes directly before that is Romans 11.36. It says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so before we think about the benefits for our lives of adoring God, of rejoicing and thankfulness, actually we do it because he's worthy of it. When we think of Jesus and what he's done, how else, how else can we respond? Um, and so I, I'm going to talk about kind of the benefits of, um, to our mental health at the moment. And I think that, uh, I think this is coming at a timely point for us as a church because I, I don't know if other people feel like this, but I certainly feel like the pandemic we're in is not just a physical health pandemic, but a mental health pandemic. And especially I've been chatting to a few people over the last couple of weeks involved in schools. Um, and for them, they're just saying we need to be praying for our young people's mental health at the moment. It's, and so I just want to flag that up as something that we, we are in the middle of. And, you know, it was talked about in Ruthless Elimination of Hurry that we're in this age of anxiety, and that was before COVID. So... Um, I wanted to just share something of where, you know, anxiety and overthinking and things like that, they're things that I personally have struggled with over the past two years. And over this COVID season, I've, I've you know, managed to have some amazing talks with friends who have helped me see the need for rejoicing, adoration and thankfulness when it comes to actually how we think and our thought patterns. And so... As I've had these conversations, it sent me into a bit of a deep dive in Scripture, thinking, okay, what do we see about Thanksgiving in Scripture? And um, I, I've, I've sort of found that so often, especially in the Psalms, uh, Thanksgiving and praise or worship are hand in hand. That as we thank God, 
um, for what he's done. It kind of, um, well, John Mark Comer said it in the, in the Ruthless Elimination of Harry Shoes. He said, Grat uh, gratitude ferments worship. One leads to the other and back and forth. Um, and so I'm just going to read one, uh, uh, one quick passage from Psalm 110, verses 4 to 5. I think we have a slide, but if not, um, I'll just read it out. So it says, enter... Uh, okay, maybe we've got the wrong one. <laughs> um, I've got here, 110 verses 4 to 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And so we see this kind of, this adoration and thankfulness. And adoration, I really believe, is the starting point of all worship. Um, they have this link. And um, you might be thinking at home or here in the room, okay, that's great. What does it have to do with mental health? Um, but I wanted to talk about the fact that actually God doesn't ask us to adore him because he's an, a high-in-the-sky egotist that just wants his ego stroking. But actually, it, it has an amazing impact for us as his children. Um, and so... If you're someone that is kind of finding this whole season and lockdown and all the rest of it to be something that is really, well, is, is uh, not helping your mental health, you're struggling, um, I want you to just just write down this verse somewhere, put it somewhere, put it on your fridge, put it on, the, on your phone background or something and speak it over yourself. This is Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. And I think we might have it up, but I'll read it out. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we're, we're promised here that as we, as we give everything over to God in prayer, with thanksgiving, that the peace of God will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus and our minds. And now this promise of scripture seems to be coming up in the discoveries of neuroscience all the time. It's, you know, it's proven that a 20-second thankful thought reduces cortisol in your brain, and cortisol is the stress hormone. It's the hormone that stops you thinking rationally and kind of triggers your fight-or-flight mechanism. And so a 20-second thankful thought reduces that. And I was just sort of really interested. I was thinking, okay, what does, what does the world have to say about thankfulness, gratitude, you know, what we're looking at this morning? And I found this on, on, a, on a mainstream website called Positive Psychology. It had five headers that what thankfulness does for us. It says it releases toxic emotions, reduces pain. You're actually more likely to feel less pain when you're thankful. It improves sleep quality. It aids in stress regulation by reducing our cortisol levels, reduces anxiety and depression. Now, if we go back to our passage before, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, to me, that sounds, all, all those headers, they sound a lot like peace. They sound a lot like God bringing peace. And, um, you know, this is nothing new. The psalmist knew this. 
Paul writing to Philippians knew this. We're in society just about starting to catch on that actually thankfulness has, a, has an impact to the way we think, to, to having peace in the middle of a storm. So, you may, um, you may well have heard it said before that um, worship or adoration, glorifying God, is what we're created for. And I totally believe that to be true. But I also want to take it one step further this morning and say that actually glorifying God, worship, is not just what we're created to do, but makes us more who we're created to be. It doesn't just, it's not just what we're created to do, but worship and adoration, rejoicing in God, makes us more the people he's made us to be. And kind of as we think about this, and we had our reading from the book of Acts earlier, um, you may feel a bit of a tension and this kind of longing to be uh, doing what was happening in the reading. To, be, to have worship looking like that. To have worship being breaking bread in each other's homes, meeting regularly. And as you listen to the phrases like, all the believers were together. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, praising God. You may be thinking, well, that's what, that's what I want to be doing. I have this longing in, in me to be doing that, and, I, and we can't at the moment. Yet, I think that we have a question now is, how are we going to respond? Is our worship going to shrink or is it going to expand? We could, we could say that, oh, if we can't do it like that, then what's the point? Or we could say, Father, this season has come. You've allowed it. What are you trying to teach us in this season about worship? And I really feel like in these restrictions at the moment, we can't meet as we normally would. We can't sing as we normally would in our gatherings that um, God has a great deal to teach us about worship and what it is, about rejoicing in him. And I've certainly felt that as, as a worship leader, you know, having a room of, of people here, um, I know everyone at home can still sing and engage as normal, but with a room of people that actually can't sing, it means that we have to really rely on the voice of the Spirit in our leadership. You know, we can't just try and read the room. We have to say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Where are you leading us? What are you asking us to do? You know, when we're, when we're in the room and we can't sing, we can't go through the motions as maybe we would before. Maybe there's a deeper understanding that God wants to bring us to of actually what happens as we declare these truths over ourselves and over our lives. And I really believe that God is leading us to a new understanding of what that is to worship, to rejoice, to adore him. We, a couple of weeks ago I read from John 4 and, it, and that talks about not worshipping here or there, not on that mountain or in that mountain. We could say now not worshipping in the building uh, or worshipping in our living room or worshipping on the street, wherever we are. Worship is not about where we are, it's about worshipping with the right heart. And I've just felt as I've kind of come to God in this season to say what does our, our gathered times of worship on a Sunday, what is that to look like? I really get the sense that God is just calling us to bring it back to Jesus, just to adoring him for who he is. And um, something that has kind of been on my, on my heart for the last little while that in, in some, some modern worship songs that I see is a, a kind of a tendency to lean towards my breakthrough in the moment. 
that I want to see my breakthrough in the moment. And don't get me wrong, I believe that as we worship God, that we will encounter him by his spirit, that we'll be transformed by him, that we will see breakthrough. We see that in scripture. But actually, I think the core of worship is to adore God and to come to him and to say, God, I just want to adore you, not to worship for what we can receive from it, but just about his feet because we love him. And I also, I just want to talk to the fact that this morning there'll be some of us at home or in the room for which COVID has felt like a living hell. And rejoicing is the last thing we want to do. We, we look outside and the sky is now grey and it all seemed, life seemed a lot easier, maybe at the start of lockdown, um, when we didn't know how long this was going to go on for, the sun was out and we don't feel like rejoicing. For some of us, we might be loving this season. We might actually be finding it great that we're getting to spend more time with loved ones or whatever. And we're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. And that's kind of something that I wanted to talk about this morning, that actually this is an amazing opportunity for us to offer to God in worship something which costs us something, a costly sacrifice. And the Bible is littered with stories of people whose rejoicing, their adoration, their thanksgiving didn't just look like turning up to a building and singing. And um, I'm, I've been taking real kind of, I, I know for some of us um, who are particularly excited about Christmas, I think of my wife Beth, and I'm just thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention the wise men, and I feel like she's going to hit the roof. But um, I've been really looking at the story of the wise men recently, and in, in Matthew 2, it's the first it's the first um, time the word worship's used in the New Testament um, in context of what they're doing. They say, where is this king that we may go and worship him? And for them, if you're familiar with the story, what did worship look like? It looked like traveling miles and miles, following a star, to bring costly gifts to lay at the feet of a king, to lay at the feet of this baby, this savior of the world. And so... Um, this, this being the first, the first time we see this word worship, and it's this, this word in the Greek that actually means to kind of come to the feet of a king, to kiss their feet, to bow in adoration. That is the first time we see worship, and, and it's this costly sacrifice, this, this trip where they go and lay down these costly offerings to God. Uh, another one, you may have hear, heard me mention it a few weeks ago, but King David in 1 Chronicles um, he says this, he's being sent to buy a threshing floor, which was a floor where they would basically thresh grain. And he's going to buy it to make an altar for the Lord. He's been sent by Gad to buy this um, threshing floor. And so this is 1 Chronicles 21, 22 to 24. And it says, let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price. Then I'll build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish, Aruna said to David. I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing boards for wood to build a fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give it all to you. But King David replied to Aruna, No, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. And so 
I want to speak to those people that at the moment are finding this season really hard. And actually, to rejoice feels like just kind of absent from them and what they want to be doing at the moment. We have an opportunity to bring to God a sacrifice in worship at the moment that perhaps we won't have the opportunity to do later. We have uh, an opportunity to bring a costly sacrifice to God, to say, God, I choose to rejoice even though it's not what I feel like. And let that offering speak of our love for him. Now, in a minute, we're going to we're going to do that. We're going to go back into a time of worship, and I'd like to just invite the band up if they want to come and kind of get ready. But why don't we just for a minute just just think, pray. Ask the Lord, what is, what is that thing? What is that costly offering that you're calling me to bring today? If, if it's for us, if we're finding it hard to rejoice at the moment, it, maybe it's just saying, yes, I'm going to rejoice in you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up and I'm going to declare these songs and rejoice in you even though I don't feel like it, even before I've seen my breakthrough. Perhaps it's that we feel like we need to, um, that God will put something on our hearts that we need to do as an act of worship. Perhaps someone that we know is isolated, but why don't we just, why don't we just um, have a moment now and just leave about you know thirty seconds, a minute of prayer, just to just to ask God, what is it that you're calling me to do in this season? How is it that you're calling my rejoicing to look? And then we'll go into some worship. Now I just want to finish with an extract from from the book How to Pray, where I think uh, Pete Gregg kind of sums up what I'm what I'm getting at here. And he says this, this is an act of the will. Instead of waiting to worship until I feel like it, which could be a very long wait indeed, I begin to thank God for all the evidence of his love in my life, often speaking out loud, until my feelings fall into line with the facts. Sometimes it can seem a bit fake at first, but that's okay. And occasionally I continue to feel tired, sad or lethargic, and that's okay too. If I only said I love you to my wife when I was overwhelmed with passion, I wouldn't tell her often enough. And actually, my love for her may well be more honest, less fake in the cold light of an ordinary day than it is during the hormonal surge of an emotional moment. The writer of Hebrews urges us to offer God a sacrifice of praise. What could be more sacrificial than praising him when we don't feel like it? It's relatively easy to worship when we're singing stirring songs with the saints on Sunday morning, but not so easy on a miserable Monday morning before work. I suspect that unemotional worship, the kind that feels a bit forced and fake, is precious to God precisely because it's so costly to us. So this morning, if we're feeling like actually rejoicing is coming easy at the moment, then great. Let's celebrate that. If we feel like rejoicing is not so easy at the moment, let's remember those words. I suspect that unemotional worship, the kind that feels a bit forced and fake, is precious to God precisely because it's so costly to us. So we're going we're gonna to praise now. We're going to go into a time of rejoicing, of adoring God. 
I just want to encourage you, if you feel like you want to just carry on meeting with him where you're at right now, then let's do that. But if, if not, why don't we stand and let's just, let's just say to God, yes, I'm going to rejoice in you this morning. If we're at home, let's stand. Let's say, God, I'm going to rejoice in you this morning, whatever is going on, because you're worthy of it and because I love you. Amen.